Good morning and welcome. Well, if you were with us this uh, weekend for the uh, marriage conference, uh, you know what a great blessing it was. So we wanted to uh, share that with you, so we kidnapped uh, Don and Jean McClure. They were able to be with us this morning. And so uh, many of you uh, know Don and Jean. Uh, they've been with us before, and they're old friends, and we're so grateful that they could be with us to share the word of the Lord. So, Don, thanks for coming. Come on up, and let's welcome him. Thank you, Ray. You, oh, am I on? Here we go, kid. Well, it's wonderful to be here with you. The, I've been here a couple times before, and every time it's just a joy. Ray and Margie have been such wonderful and dear friends. So to be able to be with you and share with you this morning is a blessing. Now, if you would, uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 7 this morning. And uh, somebody uh, checked with me the other day, asked for a scripture in a, in a title, and uh, just kind of called it Law and Grace. Understanding these two, it's very important in the Christian life, but let me read to you Romans chapter 7. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman that has a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth, but if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is freed from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she should be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye sh should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For we that are in the flesh, in the motions, uh, uh, for when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruits unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve a newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Well, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Well, God forbid, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by, uh, by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. But I was alive without the law once. But when the law and the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment, it deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. Well, was that which was good made death unto me? Well, God forbid, but sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that by sin the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold unto sin. And then I want to read a few verses uh, from the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus talks about the law and what he thinks of it there. In verse 17 of chapter 5, Jesus said, Now think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. 
Wherefore, uh, therefore, whosoever shall break one of the least of these commandments and teach men so, the same shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Well, let's pray, and then we will look at this. Father, as we turn to your word, sometimes we read something and it seems complicated, but we thank you it's not. Not to you, and we ask, Lord, that as we look at it, the beauty and the simplicity and the power uh, and the significance of these verses would come alive to every one of us. So we ask that you'd feed us and teach us, encourage every one of us in your word this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, one of the great age-old struggles, uh, the history of the church, has been the struggle essentially between the law and grace and living under the law and living under God's grace. Now, here in Romans 7, Paul tells us we're not under the law, but we are under grace. And yet in the Sermon on the Mount, it says there, as Jesus tells us, he says, think not that I've come to destroy the law of the prophets. I haven't come to destroy, but to fulfill. And he says, as a matter of fact, there won't be one jot or tittle of it that won't be fulfilled. And whosoever would break one of these and teach men so, the same should be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. And so it appears there on a simple reading that Jesus is extremely supportive of the law, and Paul is saying it's been done away. But yet the, the resolving and reconciling the, the, the apparent sometimes difference between the two is actually quite simple. And that's what I want to look at this morning. And perhaps one of the most important things about this section is what Jesus, in terms of his comment in the Sermon on the Mount, has to say about living in the law. For when he says there, I have not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but I have come to fulfill it. Now, a lot of people think what he's saying there is I'm just coming and just fulfilling it, uh, you know, in my life or by my behavior. And that, that is obviously true. But it's more than that. What he, is, uh, what he means there in the Greek is very, very clear. He says, I have, when he says, I have come to fulfill, that word in the Greek means to abundantly supply. In other words, Jesus said everything that the law and the prophets, everything that God was always saying for man's behavior that he wanted to see in man, and the standards that he put out there, essentially of, of human perfection, that man could not ever do on his own, uh, Jesus says, I am here to abundantly supply everything that is needed to do it, to, to do it. I, everything the law was ever all about, everything that ever laid out. Jesus, he just does it quite simply and quite naturally. Uh, for Jesus to fulfill the law and to offer to fulfill it in our life, it's nothing to him. It takes no effort for Jesus to be what he was. It was just what he was. It was simple. It required no labor, no work. What, there's, when you came to church here this morning, or all day, in fact, all your life, there's a lot of things you just do naturally that require no effort at all. You've been inhaling and exhaling ever since you came here. We hope. <laughs> Somebody stops, make sure we've got the equipment around here to see if we can get it started again. Uh, but your heart's been beating, your blood has been flowing. You're not telling, oh, heart, beat, oh, shove, you know, take some oxygen, get it to the cells. No, there's all these things that are just naturally going on with you, requiring no effort, no, no energy, no strength. It's just natural to you. Well, that's the way that life all the way through, you know, was to Jesus. He just did it naturally, it required no effort to love or to be kind or to be gentle or to be patient. It was it. He was never strained. He was never had to grit his teeth, count to 10, okay, hang in here and do, you know, do this. No. It was just what he was. It's actually as well the way that God created man in the first place. We were created in his image. God created us in his likeness. And he uh, walked with God in, in the cool of the day in the garden, the Bible tells us. And here, this wonderful fellowship when man was once sinless. And, and to live sinlessly, it required, again, no effort even for Adam because it was natural to him. 
Adam and Eve, when they were, they, they were, the Bible says, naked and, and not ashamed. Their lives are completely open, exposed, and what they were, they were wonderfully and perfectly and lovingly and gracefully and naturally because of the fact that God, you know, had filled him. God lived within him and, and it required no effort to do any of that as long as man was just living in fellowship and communion with God. And, uh, and that's, that's how, how man was designed to operate. And yet, uh, sadly, when man fell, when man sinned, and you know, God took his presence out of him. The Spirit of God was once in a man. He breathed his life into him. And then when the Spirit of God, when man sinned, he died spiritually. God told Adam, literally, in the day in which thou sinnest, dying thou shalt surely die. You will die spiritually at that moment. There, I'll take my presence out of you. And, but your body will remain, your soul will be active, but you'll be spiritually dead, essentially. But I'm giving this grace period after you die, before you completely die, for an opportunity to repent. You realize, I just walked away from life. I walked away from everything there is. I played the fool. I've been deceived. I, is there any way to get back to it? And there God, of course, Jesus, a lamb slain before the foundation of the world would provide a way of sacrifice. That's why we're here today. Uh, hopefully every one of us. We've sinned, we've fallen, we know it. Uh, and, and all we want to do is make sure and we're renewing fellowship, living with him and wanting to grow in him. That's hopefully primarily what it's all about. But since man fell, uh, you know, in this fallen spiritual state, uh, then it's required great human effort to kind of do things that once were done naturally. And, uh, and, 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 there, and it's a struggle. And uh, we need all of this artificial stuff out there telling us how to behave, uh, uh, that, you know, to kind of keep us operating. Uh, a few years ago, in fact, it'll be four years ago in a few months, my father at 95 years old, loved the Lord, wonderful man, and, uh, but he fell, uh, and when he fell, they rushed him off you know, to uh, hospital and ICU. We gathered together there, and when we get there, he's all hooked up to all sorts of equipment, and his heart is beating, the blood is flowing, he's inhaling, he's exhaling, all of that is being done, but it's all done artificially. He's hooked up to all this equipment and the doctor basically, uh, you know, sat down with us and said, well, right now, primarily, what's, what, he, you know, he, he, he can't do any of this alone. If we unhook the equipment, he will, he, he'll pass away, he'll be gone. Because it's artificially being maintained, as the oxygen is getting to his blood right now because we're pumping it in, we're keeping his heart stimulated and going, and all of this operating there. So he's alive, technically, but it's requiring all of this uh, artificial equipment <laughs> to keep him going, to sustain him. Well, essentially, when man fell, that's what God did when he gave the law. What he did, he set up all this whole artificial system you know, that on how man ought to live and, and, and how he would operate if he, uh, you know, the way he was naturally created to be. Uh, but it took a lot of effort to kind of do it. We have all of these things, these laws on how that we should be kind and we should be gentle. We have these laws, you know, that we're to, the, the, the Lord our God, he's one God. We're to worship him only. Uh, we're not to have idols. We're, you know, we're, we're remember the Sabbath day. We're to keep it holy. We are not to kill. We're not to commit adultery. We're not to steal. We're, you know, not to bear false witness. And all of these different things, there are these things called the law. Here God looks there and he's, it's, it's really a bunch of just artificial equipment that God hooks up to a man to kind of keep him functioning somewhat in a society 
you know, with one another while we're dead. <laughs> In the process of hopefully that will show us that I'm, I'm dead, but it, it, it's artificial. It structures everything uh, artificially. And it's something that requires quite a bit of effort to do it and uh, to maintain it. Like, the, like right now, I look at out here and everybody appears nice. Uh, appears that way. <laughs> you appear to be quite patient, you know, with everybody looks patient right now. Now, when I get into the third hour of my sermon, uh, <laughs> that will be pressed. You will find yourself sitting here saying, what is this guy doing? The equipment will start breaking down. You know, we can be kind, we can be patient under certain conditions. But right now, or you, maybe you pull out here in the freeway or the road out here and, and the signal's green for you, but somebody starts to run through it or they, and all of a sudden you're pulling out and now boom, you know, the equipment kind of breaks down and you want to you want to shoot the guy, almost killed you or something, and, the, and we can easily, you know, lose our patience. We can easily, we kind of, okay, now hold it back, get yourself hooked back up to the equipment, start breathing. <gasps> okay, there we go, let's get some paddles on you, you know, and get you breathing again. You were, you know, you're just about kill yourself or somebody else in your anger or your impatience. And so, but it's all this artificial stuff that says you got to do this. You got to try hard. You got to you got to be sincere. And and this is what the law is in the Bible. And when we talk as well, when the Bible talks about the law, it's not merely the 10 commandments. That's a very small part of the law. Uh, the law is a huge huge structure that has been set up there. It's a tremendous amount of equipment. It operates 24/7 365, you know, there and 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 our life is filled with laws. It's not merely the 10 commandments. When the Bible talks about the law, it's talking about the Pentateuch. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they are called the books of the law. And here, uh, and that's the law. And inside of that, there is spiritual law, there is Levitical law, all the ways of coming and getting right with God, offerings and sacrifices and things to do. When you've offended God, you've offended somebody else, you, you, your, your heart and your life, is, is, your behavior is, is faulted in some way or another or some way to get back right with him. And it's all this huge structure. It, there's civil law uh, within it, all you know, sort of judicial law. You know, when somebody commits a crime, you know, what do you, how do you handle it? Well, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. You make sure that, that well, you don't, somebody there, they, they do a minor thing and now you kill them for it. No, you don't do that. Maybe other cultures or society, that's not how you're going to operate. There's moral law. There's, it's filled with ethical law. How to treat your neighbor, how to, your home, your family. I mean, it's just, just this incredible amount of artificial equipment. It's all there to say, here is, here is what behavior is to be. Hook yourself up to this and, uh, you know, and let it regulate your life. And, but it's here, there, it, it, uh, that you can't do it. We, it's, we're to let it happen. We're to try to do that, but to realize we never will. But Jesus comes and he says, I've come to fulfill that. I've come to abundantly supply all that the law and the prophets ever required that you could not do. I not only do it myself, but I will do it in you. I live correctly and, uh, before God without any effort. It's just my nature. Requires no energy. It requires no effort because it's just as simple to me as breathing is to you. It's because it's who I am. And uh, so the law is just all this artificial equipment kind of that just keeps dead men walking, <laughs> you might say, that just keeps us artificially alive. It has a great and important place, though. 
as Paul says, it was, was the law then because it, uh, it's something there that just condemned me. Was it a waste or whatever? But here uh, Paul says it has a very important place. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, it says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, there is uh, no longer a need for the schoolmaster. And here as Paul writes, he says, no, 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 the law was very important because the law was a schoolmaster. When I'm hooked up to all this, uh, you know, stuff, it was something there that ultimately was to cause me to look at and to say, was I created to live this way? Artificially trying and struggling with all of these different things to fulfill them when I can't even fulfill them? And he says, no, it was a schoolmaster, something to tell me that something's missing. It was something there to teach me there and to ultimately bring me to faith in Christ when I'd see him say, look, he's doing it. He's fulfilling it. He loves, he cares, he's consistent, he's flawlessly. And not only there did he say, no, I not, not only do it myself naturally, I am here to fulfill this in you. And it was a schoolmaster to say, I need him. And then he says, now once I'm plugged into him, essentially, once now I have come to him, I don't need the law. Uh, you know, there to live under it if I am having that relationship with him. Instead of the, now being related to the law and being hooked up to it, if I was hooked up to Jesus as much as I'm hooked up to my own human effort and the law, I'd get the, what the gospel's all about and I won't need the schoolmaster. So simply stated here, he says, the law is just simply a bunch of artificial equipment there that keeps you, you know, in the emergency room alive. Uh, in, in a semi-comatose manner or something. But here it sets a standard, tells us we've sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. But it's a schoolmaster to bring me again, as he says, to Christ. And we desperately need these laws, though. Paul says, well, why? why what, what good are these things? And he says, oh, no, I would never have known that I was a sinner. Uh, you know, at, at all there, you know, without the law. He says, before the law... I, I, I lusted, and it was just fine. But then the law comes to thou shalt not covet. And, oh, man. Paul says, oh, I don't do that naturally. I do something else naturally. He says, I, but the law. So the law came. Sin revived, and I died. The law showed me I, I was on artificial equipment. The law showed me that all this effort, whether of anger, hostility, or coveting, or whatever else, when the law says thou shalt not do this, uh, then I, I realize there's something wrong. Because it looks over there, and Jesus, he looks there, and he says, I don't do that. I don't use people. I don't kill people. I don't hate people. I don't, you know, tear them apart. I don't want them done. I don't want them ceasing. I want to sustain them. I want to change them. I'm not like you. Well, I didn't know that until somebody came along and lived that way. And when somebody came along and showed me, well, I don't live that way. And he says, well, which way do you want to live? Do you want to live under the artificial equipment, or do you want to have me live in you? I'm here to abundantly supply it. If you would adopt and, and hook up to me and be as committed to me in faith as it as you are to your own structure. And when we're talking about the law, as I said, it's huge. We need it desperately. Society uh, requires it. You know, how many of you, you know, that if, if, how many of you would go to work tomorrow if you, if you didn't have to eat and you didn't need a roof over your head? You know, you're just, man, I, I got to go to work. How many would go to school? You know, different. How, I mean, we laws are everywhere. How do we raise our children? The law. Johnny, don't do that. Johnny, you hit your sister again. I will hit you harder. 
You know, I brought you into this world, I'll take you out, Johnny. Do you understand me? They, there's laws, you know, that, that are there to govern life. There's all sorts of laws, civil laws, that, are, that our society requires tremendously. Basically, all of you are here this morning, you've obeyed all sorts of laws. I presume all of you, for example, drove on the right-hand side of the street. Yeah, I want to go to church, so therefore I'm going to drive on the right side of the street because that's the law. And, uh, and everybody else around was hopefully obeying that. Now, if you would say, you know something, I'm from England, and I'm used to driving on the left side of the street. Well, fine, go ahead and drive on the left side of the street, but you probably won't go to church. You'll go to heaven. You know, I mean, yeah, there. I mean, it's it because now you have you you just these all these laws. They're what keeps society functioning. They're all around us. How fast can I go and not get a ticket? You know, sort of a thing. We got these laws because that's all there to save and sustain life and keep keep people going. So we set up all of these artificial things out there. You're driving down the road and they're lighted red. It means stop. You know, you're looking at it, it's green. Oh, I can go. It's yellow floor it, you know, or whatever else, you know, that there, that there is. But we have all, everywhere we go, there's these, there's these laws. They, they, they govern us. We, we function by them. You know, you, you, you may go home today and turn on the TV and watch a sporting event. Oh, you, any, any event you watch, I don't care what it is, it's, it, it will only succeed uh, if, if, because there's all sorts of laws that will be filled. And when they are not fulfilled, they will be judged. And there will be, you know, a response to that judgment. You, 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 you turn on, there's a football game, you know, or, and there's, but there's all these guys out there in the field. You have to wear this color. And these guys over in here, you, you, you wear this color. And then here there's going to be, you know, this artificial line down the field that's, that's located where the ball is. And you're to know where, that, where you're to be according to that ball, how far you can be near it or behind it, and where you are else on the field. And if one of you starts moving, uh, you know, and things, there's, there's certain types of motion that are okay, but if two of you move at the same time, that's illegal motion, and we will call the playback, and you will lose yards. And, you know, and if you, you will obey all the laws. There's all these guys in black and white striped uniforms. All they're out there to do is just, here's the laws. If anybody doesn't fulfill all the laws. So some one guy goes down, runs down the field, catches a 70-yard pass, scores it, spikes it, and the whole place is all jump up and down. But then there's all these guys in the striped uniforms. All they care about, did anybody break a law? And then as they even look over things, they realize this guy tripped somebody. That's why he was wide open. We're taken away. And the whole, everybody stops, the TV cameras, everybody's looking at these guys, the law. There's the law, are they going to let it happen? Or are they going to, yes, you get it, or no. You don't, not only don't get it, the downs, you go back, you lose 15 yards. And, you know, or what, and, and everybody, I mean, these little guys, half the size of these guys there, they could tear them up, and yet they'd sit there, and, and the guy throws his flag, and if he gives him any lip, you're out of here. You know, the law can destroy you. Uh, the, the law condemn you. It can judge you, and uh, it's very, very powerful. And we have all these financial laws. You've got a home. You have a home because you fulfilled all sorts of laws. Your payments on it. You make those payments, you get to keep it. You don't make the payments, we'll take it away from you. You don't pay your taxes. You know, you just last month, hey, you better get your taxes in. You get your taxes in. And there's no reward, by the way, for fulfilling any of these laws. 
There's nothing at all there, you know, that when you paid your tax, you got your house payment in, you know, or whatever else. Or when you drove here fulfilling the law, you didn't get pulled over by a policeman. He says, you know, you were just obeying all the laws. It was incredible. Here's a free dinner, you know, for you. No, there's absolutely no reward for doing anything right. You know, the, the referees don't sit there and high-five you and get excited for you. No, they actually look, film it, let's look at the films, go back over, they get in the huddle, do we have to give them the, the touchdown? Yeah, we couldn't find anything wrong. All right, get your points, move on. You know, there's no reward, you know, for fulfilling it. They don't help you do it. They don't care if you do it. They only care, and are, their only job is to condemn you. Their only job is to judge you and to find you do, you're doing something wrong. Now, we all hate these laws, you know, but at the same time, for a society operate, you know, that we, you have absolute chaos without it. We all see what happens when maybe even laws appear almost to be temporarily lifted sometimes. Hurricane Harvey happens, or Sandy, or one of the natural disaster, and all the city, you know, services are strained to the limit. The police are over here, fires over there, and all of a sudden, you'll see on TV these guys going in, broad daylight, smashing the sporting goods store window, coming out with ten pairs of shoes that they don't even fit. You know, maybe woman's shoes or whatever. Hey, look at me! I just stole shoes. I broke the law, and nobody's here to stop me. They do it on national TV. If you watch, you think. That's crazy. But there's so, but when there's this lifting and I can do something and that I'm not going to get judged for it, all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're, we think we're free. And, uh, uh, but then we find out it's filmed and uh, they follow up on the film and the joke's on you. But when, or else, and there's also places in the world when there's a lifting of the law. You don't go. Society breaks down. I, I doubt if any of you have planned a vacation this summer in North Korea. You probably, you know, I don't think I want to go there, or you know, or maybe Afghanistan or a certain place. You just think, you know, you know, I don't think I want to, you know, take my suntan oil and and go lay on the beach in Afghanistan or in Iran, you know, or someplace. They're probably not, you know, their laws, you know, are, are are non-existent in terms of taking care of us, and so we, we require them. But all they are is a plumb line. If you've ever hung wallpaper, all it does is it doesn't reward you for hanging the wallpaper right. It's just a plumb line. It's just a string with a weight it there, and you string it up, lift it up, and is the wallpaper straight? It merely condemns you if you didn't. It doesn't reward you or help you at all if you did it right. In fact, and the interesting thing about us is, is if we don't have enough laws, we will actually self-impose new laws upon ourselves. oftentimes that will also condemn us more. You know, we come home late. Where have you been? I'm sorry, honey. I'll never be late again. <laughs> Next night, you know, it condemns you. Next night, where were you? You said you'd never be here again. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, it says, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. In other words, every time there is a standard, we have this new way of telling us you failed. Anytime you go over the speed limit, anytime you, you, know, you, you, you don't stop, you know, or you make what we call a California stop in California. I don't know what they do here, but it's a rolling stop around a stop sign where nobody looks safe to me, you know, or whatever, no cops around. And you know, you know, you did it, you look there and make it. But it, because we know, because if there happens to be a police car sitting over there in the corner, we make a full stop. Maybe even put it in reverse a little bit, so then there we go around there. 
you know, and the guy says, <laughs> and looks at there, smiles at us. He knows why we did it. We did it because he was there, you know, and uh, perfectly well that the law was there. But with all of these laws, as now Jesus comes along, and he not only forgives sin, he not only forgives us that we could not fulfill those things, and, and he is not only just himself in the sense that he fulfills every one of them effortlessly because it's his nature, but he looks there and he says, more than just forgiving you for it, no more than just simply I do it right. My, I am here. I actually came here more than just simply dying for you. I came to rise from the dead and then to come and live in you and to fulfill what you couldn't do, what you artificially tried to, and all it did was condemn you. And, uh, and beat you up. I'm here to replace it. And here, as we read here in Romans 7, Paul gives us one of the most beautiful illustrations, I think, in the Bible uh, there uh, to explain it. And uh, it looks like what he's diverting, what's he talking about marriage and, uh, and adultery here? But he says in, in verse 1 of chapter 7, as we read earlier, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman that has a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he lives. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. But so then if her husband liveth, and she be married to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if the husband be dead, she is freed from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, he says, therefore, he says, what all I am telling you this, uh, illustrating for you, my brethren, is that we have become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that she should be married to another, even to him that raised up, that is raised up from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, just, and good. Now, ladies, let me introduce to you here the, the man of every woman's dreams. I'm talking to the most wonderful husband there ever was. Incredible man, the man of every woman's dream, and you can actually marry him. His name is Mr. Law, and, uh, and he's an, quite an incredible man. He is holy, he's just, he is good. He loves God, he loves man. He is absolutely perfect in his depth of character, in the sense there of his wisdom, of his goodness. It will always be faithful to you probably throw in tall, dark, and handsome as well. And uh, he's the man of your dreams. He is moral. He is faithful. He is honest to the nth degree. This man is the most incredible man that there ever was. And you can, be mar and you can marry him. And it would probably be the happiest day of any woman's life. And there, as she would marry him, though, after she marries him, as wonderful as he is, because holy, just, and good, he's flawless, he just has one irritating quality about him uh, that is very frustrating. In fact, it makes you incredibly miserable. And that quality is very simply that he expects the exact same behavior from you that he has. Galatians 3.10 tells us, Paul writes, he says, For as many as are under the works of the law, or anybody that's married to the law, is under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. In other words, the, you know, the, 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 here the law comes along, you marry him, and, and there's no reward for when you don't fail, but he curses you when you do fail. 
in anything that you don't do. He is absolutely perfect himself. He is flawless. There's no error whatsoever within him. It's just that he demands that same quality in his mate or you're in trouble. So here you come home from your honeymoon and you, you, know, you wake up and you look over and realize, oh, he's not even there. And then all of a sudden you realize he's already up. And then you look at the foot of the bed. There he is. And he is perfect. Not a hair out of place. Perfectly shaven. He's all dressed in his suit just immaculately, not a wrinkle in it. Shoes are spit shine. Speech is flawless. Well, my dear, I'm off to work today uh, to go to the office. I'm going to be there right on time. And now I expect you, you need to get up immediately. And I want you to take care of the children. Make sure that they are all flawlessly taken care of. Their homework is all done. They're dressed and ready for school. And they're perfect. And here's the meal that you'll have. Here's the nutrition. And here's how it's to be provided. I will be home at 5 o'clock sharp. At which time I expect the meal to be prepared and on the table at 5.15 for me to eat. I want the, the meat at 192 degrees. I expect this, uh, you know, for the vegetables and the salad uh, they are prepared. I don't want to see any dirty dishes in the sink, no dirt on the floor. The kids will be well behaved, there will be no toys around. And, uh, or I will curse you to your face. <laughs> Do you understand that? And of course, then he comes home. <laughs> I mean, he, and he's, he's absolutely flawless, but he walks in the door and there is, he looks around. He doesn't reward you again for anything you did right. You, the, meat, the meat's 192 degrees. Everything's there. But there's a toy on the floor or there's a dish in the sink. He just looks around and sees anything out of order to him. And he looks there and, and no reward for anything right. You just, and, but he looks there and just merely condemns you as he looks for any, any error. That's his job. Find out anything that you have failed in, whether like the policeman on the corner or the, you know, the referee at the game. He doesn't help you sink the, the, you know, the basketball. He doesn't help you drive. He doesn't reward you for anything right. Any failure, he condemns you. And, uh, and, and, and there, day after day, you try harder and harder to please him because, after all, he is wonderful. He's holy, just, and he's good. There's no error in him. He's tremendous. And, uh, you know, within this, and, and, but yet at the same time, no matter how good you, you, you are, how hard you try, every little mistake only comes back to bite you. And it, and it absolutely, it drives you to conniptions and just little by little beats you to death and into great agony. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with Mr. Law. He's perfect. It's you. It's me. We can't do it. And it beats us down. We try and try, but we can't. But then one day, as Paul gives us this illustration, one, one, uh, a wonderful thing happens in the life of Mrs. Long. One morning, she wakes up. And as she wakes up, there she looks at the foot of the bed, waiting to be, here's the law, here's the rules, here's what I expect. And you look, he's not there. Where is he? And you look over, you realize, well, he's still in bed. I still look at it. You know, I mean, you look over at him, he's still perfect. I mean, hair not out of, still, <laughs> hair not out of place. Already looks perfect. Even his breath is perfect when he's not even, you know, but it's quite impressive. You know, not a wrinkle in his pajamas, you know, or something. You look over. He's just absolutely correct. But you look closer. And you get closer and you realize, I don't think he's breathing. And then you get closer and you realize, I think he's dead. And then you get closer and you write, yes, he is. He's deader than a doornail. And you look there and all of a sudden there, Mrs. Law, they, they, it was more wonderful than the day she married him. It was, it was something more exciting than the, than, than the wedding. 
was there, if ever a woman danced on her husband's grave, it was this woman, you know, there. <laughs> Not because there was ever anything wrong with him. It was her. She could never live up to it. But now she has an option. Now, you know, can she just go home? Jumping around and rejoicing. You know, so I'm going out in the garden. I'm going to get a bunch of dirt. I'm just throwing it all over the house. I'm not, I, you know, I'm just going to, hey, kids, eat whatever you want to. Here's garbage. Here's junk. Here's whatever it is. We'll just throw it on the floor, lick up what you want, and leave the plates on the, everywhere, anywhere. We're not vacuuming. We're not cleaning up. We're not making the beds. We're, we're out partying. We are free and uh, from the law. And I'm not, I, I, I could never do it, and now I'm dead, and I'm free. Well, Paul, he said, there he said, no. Like Paul says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Oh, God forbid. Now, it, it, he says, but here, as Paul explains there, that what has actually happened is that now, he says, that now that, that Mr. Law has died, that now, as, as Paul says here, he says that he is free. She is now free to be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. Paul says, you can't be married to both. You married the law, you've got to live with the law as long as you're there. And if, 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 a, if a woman there is, is while she's been married to one, now she goes married to another, she'll be called an adulteress. But at the same time, if one has died, she is now be free and she'll no longer be called that. And so he's simply there, he says, if you ever want to enjoy this one, this one has to die to you. And this one must become alive. And when he becomes alive, now I am free to be married to him. The only difference here is this one is incredibly alive inside of you. This one, you know, when he, he doesn't just simply wake up and shout out things. He looks there, uh, and as, as he helps wake you up, he says, come unto me, all you that labor, heavy laden. He says, I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'm meek and lowly of heart. I will help you through the day. We will do it together. I will fulfill it in you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you always unto the ends of the age. I, 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 you wait upon me, I'll give you strength. And uh, I'll renew it. You'll mount up with wings as eagles. You'll run and not be weary. You'll walk and you'll not faint. I'll fill your heart. I'll fill your life. I will, I will take it and do wonderful things in you. And you won't have to do this yourself. It will, it, as you just let me fill you. What you could never do naturally, now I will do spiritually in you. As you are now as dependent upon me as you once were on the law that you could not fulfill, now you turn and say, Lord, would you fill me? Would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would you be my strength? You love my husband. You love my wife like I could never dream of loving them. You love my children. You care for people. Uh, you know, I, would, would you go to work with me this week and help me? in my job? Would you, you know, give me wisdom and discernment? All those things that, that the law had within itself, but could not only judge me when I couldn't. Would you now come in and do within me? You know, in the New Testament, I, uh, there's a fellow years ago, his name is Kenneth Taylor. He wrote a paraphrase of the Bible called the Living New Testament. And in it, when he wrote it, it was when he actually wrote either for his children, grandchildren, I don't remember who, but he wrote this paraphrase just to simplify, you know, for them, some of the King James and things that were there. It's not a translation accurately, but it gets the gist of things in a wonderful way. And uh, when he, 
when he wrote it in Colossians, the way he wrote Colossians 1, it, well, it, it, I liked parts of 1 and 2. But in Colossians 1, in verse 26, he says, you know, he says uh, that uh, God has kept a secret for centuries and generations past. But now at last it has pleased him to tell it to those who love him and live for him. And this is the secret, that Christ in your heart is your only hope of glory. So everywhere we go, we talk about Christ to all who will listen, warning every man and teaching every man as well as we know how. For we want to be able to present each man perfect unto God for what Christ has done for them. And this is my work. I can only do it because his mighty energy is at work within me. And this is what I've asked of God for you, that you would be encouraged and knit together with strong ties of love and have the rich experience of knowing Christ with real certainty and clear understanding. And now, just as you trusted Christ to save you, trust him too for each day's problems. Let your roots grow down deep into him and see that you draw up nourishment in him growing in the Lord. For when you have Christ, you have everything. He is the highest ruler with authority over every other power. But here as Paul writes this, he's just sharing, he says, all this structure living under the law, trying to do this. It was this mystery, all this, what is God trying to tell man? Well, he's trying to tell man, you can't do it on your own. When man died, we hooked you up to this stuff. But now you're actually thinking you might, if I, if I keep myself hooked up to more and more and more of it, I may become more and more alive. No, it's all artificial. The moment you're, you know, the, the, the stuff, you, you loose from it, your nature, your death will immediately return. And you'll be dead in a doornail yourself. But if we kept you alive, it was a mystery. What is all this about? And by Jesus said, I, but I've not come to destroy the law and the prophets. I have come to destroy all this equipment. I've come to fulfill what it was supposed to be doing. What it did artificially, I do naturally. As you're dependent upon me as you once were it. And so Paul says, now, just as you trusted Christ to save you, trust him too for each day's problems. You see, the issue that we have is, I would imagine that the vast majority of us, you're here today because you're a Christian. You're in, in meaning you're here today because you found out that Jesus Christ died for you, forgave your sins, you opened your heart, you depended upon him. And you would even perhaps sit here today and say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You would sit here today, if, if Jesus did not die for me, I'm hopeless. I'm absolutely dependent. And your faith is rock solid. If I said, how many of you truly believe you are going to go to heaven when you die? I imagine the vast majority of hands would go, I believe that. I believe that. I imagine most of you would absolutely. Now, Paul just looks at it and he says, why do we believe that? Because we have completely depended upon him. We're not planning on going to heaven at all and saying, well, yeah, Jesus was great, but I, I was too. You know, uh, you know he, I sure did my part. I, you know, I tried hard. I did good. You know, I, I live by the golden rule uh, most of the time. Sometimes it was a silver rule, sometimes a bronze rule, sometimes a dirt rule, whatever. But I mean, I, but I, you know, I, but I, a lot of times I was really, no, you're saying, no, you're not going to go and present, you're not going to, you never know, are you? You're going to look there and say, Jesus died for me, and I believe that. Paul now says, now just as you trusted him to save you, trust him too for each day's problems. If I needed him today as much just to drive home as I needed him to drive me to heaven, if I needed him to help me in my marriage or my, raise my children as desperately as I needed him to die on the cross and save me, 
That's what Paul is saying. Or as it says in the King James, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. That same dependence there that you had there, now walk that way. And, and walk out married to him who is raised from the dead, letting him take you, letting him fill you. He does all of this. It comes quite easily and quite naturally to him. Because you see, there's only two laws in life. That's all there are. There's the law of the flesh and there's the law of the spirit. That's all. You will walk out of here. Everybody's married, by the way. Some of you may think, well, I'm not married. You are. Everybody is married in, in the biblical, you know, spiritual sense of the word. You're either married to yourself, married to your own standards, your own rules, and your own regulations. They might be biblical. They might be the law. They might be the Ten Commandments. They might be your own laws you set up or somebody else. But you are you're living under some imposed law that you say, this is what I live by. And they're the laws of which you are, I'm hooked up to this stuff. This is what hooks me up that that's in, uh, you know, there that, that regulates me. And you are the judge of it. You're the one that chose it. You're married to the flesh, the Bible would say. You're married to your own rule of your own life by whatever standard you set. Or you're married to Christ. But you'll all walk out of here. You're married to somebody. You're either going to, you know, when you get out to the corner here, uh, you know, either the Lord by his spirit is going to help you decide what to do there or at the office or when you get home and there's the issues with the kids or there's something blown up here or problems at the office. You are going to who it is that you're married to, you're going to reach to to help you solve it. And there's only two to be married to, yourself or him. And when we look there and say, Jesus, I want to be married to another even to him who is raised from the dead. That's what Paul's saying here in Romans 7. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your love, and thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that today we come, and Lord, I, I pray that if there's any here that have never received you, they realize, I, I don't know that Jesus has ever been in my life. I pray that right now they could just open their heart and say, Lord, would you come in? I've tried to be a Christian. I've tried hard. I've tried to be a good person. But I know better than anybody else that when I really look at perfection, I look at you and what you did naturally, I, I do artificially at best. And Lord, I realize you died for me. And Lord, I pray that now that any that are unsure, they can open their hearts and say, Jesus, I want you to come in and to be my savior. And Lord, for all of us, though, may we be ones that realize, Lord, I want to walk out of here married to you, even to him who was raised from the dead. Lord, that you would do these things, that our roots would gone deep into you, that we would draw up nourishment from you, and that you would fill us. You would be our strength. And then, Lord, when we do find ourselves violating the law, when the yellow flag goes and the referee pulls us over and says, you don't get those yards, you did it wrong. That rather than arguing and getting upset, we would be a reminder, Lord, I took over my own life again, didn't I? Lord, I went right back to that old marriage, the one that's dead. And Lord, forgive me. I want to come back and fill me again and again and again. And so, Lord, we ask that you would take our lives and strengthen them, bless them. Lord, that we'd walk in your love and in your spirit. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.